Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church where we engage with topics that are important and relevant to our lives as followers of the way of King Jesus. This is episode 15, talking with Drew Ludwig about comedy, truth, and the church. We start by asking the question, what is the relationship between comedy and truth? Does comedy have to be true to be funny? We also talk about um, political and social commentary and how that connects to comedy and uh, muse a little bit about how some comedians are getting quote unquote canceled. We talk a little bit about power dynamics in comedy. We discuss profanity, vulgarity, and topics that are taboo and how Christians should think about those things. We explore parallels between comedy and preaching and pastoring. And finally, we explore what comedy teaches us about grace and judgment. I hope you enjoy. All right, Drew, uh, who are you? Uh, my name is Drew Ludwig. Uh, I am employed as a chaplain for hospice. Uh, got to know you and your church when I was a, a minister in the Elmwood Village at a Presbyterian church. Uh, still preach at Presbyterian churches, kind of like fill in. Uh, and uh, I guess we're talking about comedy today, so it's it's relevant information that uh, I've performed with Buffalo Comedy Sports since 2009. Okay, cool. And what, so, yeah, why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Just what what is that? For people who are like comedy sports. Yes. People say, oh, it's comedy about sports. No, it's not. It is uh, improvisational comedy as a sport. Uh, so that's just kind of like the organizing principle, like the gimmick to get people performing and making funny. Uh, so it's like Battle of the Bands, but with comics. Exactly. There's right. two teams of athletes uh, that compete. Do you guys really say that? I mean, that's where I got the word. We don't always. <laughs> you didn't, you say didn't just it. make that up. On I the did spot. not make up athletes. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. And there's a PA announcer and a scoreboard and a referee and all that stuff. Okay, now, so we weren't going to talk about this at all. But how do you keep score? What do you get points for? Uh, so it depends on on the game uh, and the scene, right? Uh, but. There are some games that we call joke games uh, where you just make a joke and if you get a laugh, the referee gives you a point. Okay. Uh, there are also like scene games where the red team will uh, do a scene uh, and then the blue team will do a scene and then the referee will ask the fans, which one do you like more? And the okay. ones that uh, are liked more get five points, 10 points, whatever. Gotcha. So you have a referee whose job is to kind of determine what the crowd likes. Yes. All right. I, I mean, what is uh, art if you can't, you know, quantify it and commodify it. Right. So we, we found a way to put some, some numbers around our performance. Yeah, no, that's cool. So I know I've, I've told you this before that I'd want to come, but I've said that to you for what? It's only at least 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) I still have, you can't, I took a little break with, with COVID. They are performing again. Uh, I will eventually, but I, sorting out some own stuff, some of my own stuff. I don't have time to practice right now. So, so have you done any other um, kinds of co- comedic performances or just through comedy sports? So I was part of a couple improv groups when I was in Pittsburgh before I moved to Buffalo. Okay. Uh, and so that's where I got exposed, took classes in Philadelphia way back, way back when. Where? At a college or? Uh, so it was actually comedy sports in Philadelphia that, that gave me the, the okay. training in, in Philadelphia 
Uh, it was independent groups that I worked with when I was in Pittsburgh. Uh, my first improv teacher was uh, Mr. Joey Green. Shout uh, out, Mr. Green. Shout out to Joey Green. Uh, yeah, that was in, in the suburbs, actually the country outside of Cincinnati. Okay. We, yeah. And what, well, and so before that, like what, what kind of... I mean, I always like to laugh. I like to put on a show and, okay. you know, so, and the, the thing about improv is... Which is why he became a pastor. Sure. Right? <laughs> I like to make people laugh. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I always, I always liked the idea of performing, of comedy. I, you know, I've always been a fan, you know, I watched Saturday Night Live as soon as I was old enough to and thought, oh, that should be me someday. And, mm. uh, you know, and I didn't go pro, but I still enjoy it. Yeah. Well, man, there's a lot of ways, a lot of directions we could go from here. Why, why don't we start with one of the questions that I had asked you or that we had kind of agreed on, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of like more of the, of a philosophical question. Um, but there, I, I definitely have just kind of like uh, biographical questions to ask you too. But the philosophical question is what is the relationship between comedy and truth? Uh, Which the, obviously that's not like a one syllable answer. So we'll talk right? about that. Like that. Do we want to write a thesis? Right. Uh, yeah. So there's, there's truth in comedy uh, is the short answer. If it's not true, uh, it won't be funny. Okay. Um, now have you tested that theory and you're like pretty confident in that statement? Cause I, like that, I, that's kind of my working theory about how comedy, like comedy is speaking the truth in some way, shape or form, but I, I haven't been around it enough to really like think it through. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's, there's George Carlin's that are like, I am going to give you philosophy and make you laugh and I'm going to make big points. Right. I'm not saying that every, every comedic performance should be that or is that right. What I'm saying is that, um, fan, uh, an audience will know if you're not authentic, if you're faking it. Okay. So the, the comedy has to come from your true self. Um, and you have to be having an, that just makes me want to laugh. What is your true self? Where is, where is your true self? Uh, so it's a, a lot of improv is unlearning filters. Okay. Um, so, okay. Now that, that sounds like both that there's something there that I think is connected to like the relationship between truth and comedy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talk more about that then. Um, so, um, when you're creating, uh, you're going to, especially if you're creating something that people are going to call comedy, um, you're going to feel pressure, uh, to be clever, uh, to sound smart. Um, to not reveal too much about yourself. Um, you know, Oh, he mentioned a mother. Does he have edible issues? Blah, 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 blah. Right. Like all, all of that stuff like gets you into your head and it makes you, it causes you to think before you speak. Um, and great improv is reaction. So you have to, spend time letting go of the need to be smart, the need to be um, funny. Like that's, that's the, one of the ironic things about improv is that like people that are told they are funny or that like think that they're funny often are lousy at improv um, because the idea is to discover humor uh, rather than to make it happen. Mm. Um, 
and when you try to make it happen, you, you get in your head and yeah. So, um, when I say you want to be authentic and a true self, like I try to, before I enter into a scene, um, do, you know, without being too like woo about it, like kind of get in a, a centered place, uh, clear my mind, um, so that I can pay attention to what's happening with my scene partner, with the audience, with myself, uh, and then I can react without trying, without pushing, without imposing what I think ought to be there. Huh. So, uh, would you say that that is unique to improv or that that's true for all comedy? I mean, because obviously, like there are stand-up comics that spend you know months working on yeah. routines and yeah, I'm I'm lousy at stand-up comedy and stand-up comic. I mean, there's always exceptions, but usually stand-up comedy is the exact opposite. Okay, it's a it's a solo performance, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And and as an improviser, I am always um, seeding and sharing control. Um, you know, it hmm. the the least pleasant person to improvise with is what we would call like a steamroller who just like has a destination for the scene and they push what's going to happen and they make you do what they want. Gotcha. Right. Um, uh, stand up comedians often need to do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Like, well, and even like sketch comedy or movies are also are even like a third thing, right? Yeah. Although, the, so they're, they're kind of a hybrid between the two, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times, um, you know, good sketch and good, comedic movies are written collaboratively. Um, and so like a funny gotcha. person that does stand up will like have be like, this is a funny idea. And they bring it to the, to the writer's room. And then everyone sits around the table and says, yeah. And then this happens and this happens. Right. Gotcha. And then you perform the scene and then you improvise and then you. you so it's write. kind of like the end product of that process. Right. And mm -hmm. if you wanted to talk the philosophy of improv, right. Like a lot of um, early improvisers never envisioned it as an art unto itself. Okay. It was training for actors and mm. uh, exercise for actors and exercise for writers. So the purpose of improv was to create a space that you could generate material that would later be refined and edited and reperformed, basically. Yeah. So you and I, we, we've talked a little bit in, over the years. We've talked a little bit over the years about lots of things. We've talked a little bit over the years about... Um, comedy and truth, but we've talked more about improv as a metaphor for discipleship. Yes. Right. So talk, talk a little bit about that. We'll get back to comedy and sure. truth because I feel like there's a lot more there, but like dig into that idea. So discipleship is training. Mm. Uh, at least, I, I don't know. It, would, does that definition still no, that work works. for you? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you would want to like define it more than one word, but yeah, if you're going to use one word to define it, training works for me. Yeah. Um, so uh, using more than one word, right? You are learning a way of being. You're learning a way of life. You're learning. Um, well, I think we've talked about this in terms of discipleship, right? Like there are, uh, there are practices that the first time that you experience them feel weird and foreign and you you awkwardly make yourself do them the first time. Yeah. Uh, and then with practice and with repetition, those skills can be things that you can do naturally when you think about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
And then, uh, you know, so a new skill becomes a habit. Uh, a habit can grow into an unconscious practice, right? So you th- instead of, you know, driving, right? The first time I drove, I was scared out of my mind, right? Eventually, I got to the point where I could drive, paying attention, right? Like I knew what I was doing. And now, not saying that this is how it ought to be, right? But like, I can drive and eat a sandwich and talk on the phone. And because I don't think about driving, because it's gotten into the automatic part of my brain. Yep. Um, so I feel like discipleship is uh, taking the countercultural practices of Jesus and turning them into habits. And the end goal is for them to not just be habits, but to become unconscious practices that, that you you know, rewire your brain to be more like Jesus. Completely internalized. Yes. Or, and externalized. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause seamlessly. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So So how does that connect that explicitly to improv? Right. So, um, if you've seen bad improv, right? Like you see people like blocking on stage, like saying no to a reality that, that someone creates, Hmm. um, or, uh, just going for a, an easy joke or not fully inhabiting the the reality that you create together, right? So mm-hmm. like someone mimes a table, great, there's a table there and you, you screw things up if you walk through the table, right? At beginning improvisers are like making lists and drawing maps in their head and be like, okay, this is what's happening. They're thinking about all of it, right? Uh, with time and with practice, you develop an unconscious connection with your scene partners. Mm. You as a habit, say yes, you, you begin a a lot of comedy is is patterns. Um, So you begin to interact with and repeat the patterns that are happening before you can even articulate what the patterns are. Mm. Um, So improv is very much a deep listening to the people that you're playing with and to the moment. And I feel like that is very much an overlap with discipleship, paying paying attention to the moment, paying attention to the people that you are with. And then uh, in both you are using yourself as an instrument, right? So you're, you're, I mean, the first rule of improv that anybody knows is yes. And right. Um, So like, yes is this is the reality that is presented to me. I'm affirming that I'm agreeing with that. And then here I am bringing one more thing into that space, into that reality. Your seating partner says yes to that, adds their part, right? So it, it's a conversation to create a world. So it seems like, um, like that idea of building, um, you know, from, from struggling to practice new habits to developing those habits to internalizing them so that they unconsciously just produce action in the world that is in alignment with whether that's good comedy or you could even talk about improv in the context of music, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, explicitly things like just seamlessly, easily, and naturally forgiving our enemies or, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yes. Or turning to God in prayer or, um, you know, being kind and courageous in situations where that's difficult or whatever it is. Right. So like, that's, that's kind of what, um, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a discipline like anything else. Right. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to the, to the world of music and musical improvisers, right? Like if you're going to learn to play music, you're probably going to practice scales and it's really important to practice scales. Uh, but the idea is so that the scales live in you. Right. Yeah. And, and so you don't have to, uh, look up the scales, right? You don't perform the scales, you right. practice the scales. So right. improv, like music, like life, like athletics, like there are, uh, skills and there is a mindset and you grow in those skills and that, that mindset so that you can uh, do what looks really hard to uh, people that don't have that training. Because it, it is. It's impossible for them to do it. <laughs> well, so that's the that's one it's of the... It's not impossible for them to learn how to do it. It's just impossible for them to do it in their untrained state. Well, it's impossible to do it when you're up in your head and you're blocked, right? But like that's when I talk about improv as, as an unlearning, right? Like okay. every kid knows how to pretend. Like teaching kids how to do improvisation is so frustrating and difficult because they already know how. They naturally do it, right? Like yeah. kids just pretend and and they go with the flow and they do it. And then like, as we grow up, we get all these hangups about what is our, are we supposed to pretend? Like, what is this doing? What's it supposed to be? And adults that learn how to improv improvise, just unlearn all the things that stop us from playing and pretending. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about, you know, when you're kids and it's like, I have a sword and you're like, I have a gun, I have a laser gun, I have a shield. (laughs) Right. That's, yeah. that's not always the most uh, entertaining scene. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Okay. Well, so, so back to the question, uh, do you got any more to say about improv and discipleship? No, give me, give me another good question. Well, I want to go back to the, que- the, like the relationship between comedy and truth. Sure. And I, so it seems to me like oftentimes, well, so, well, we'll have to get, well, ha- there, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of ground to cover here. So one of my favorite topic or favorite comedians is Bill Burr. And the reason that I like Bill Burr is because, so if, if what comedians are doing is telling the truth, Mm -hmm. right? If that's what they're doing, which we're going to test that hypothesis, then the truth that Bill Burr is telling is like, we all have this like deeply hideously evil part of ourselves that exists in all of us, right? Mm-hmm. That when it arises, we do everything in our power to make sure nobody sees it. And that's the, like, that's what Bill Burr channels and just like reveals to the world. Like that's the truth that he is telling, not all the time in all of his comedy, but often in his comedy, yes. he's telling on himself about that. Yeah. And it's hilarious. Right. Right. So, so like what, I, now again, you can, I mean, that's just kind of my, that's my level of analysis when it comes to like the relationship of comedy and truth, but I yeah. respond to that. Talk more about that. So, uh, I don't think everyone would agree that we are, you know, hideously evil underneath. Um, but no, what, what there is a part of us that is hideously, we all have that. Though. Well, yeah. So I think that the truth that he's connecting to is that, um, we're all, we're all, living with secrets and with shame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same, same thing. You just, I said it in a way that entertained me more. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, um, I mean, there's, there's a couple like definitions of comedy, right? Like a very popular definition of comedy is tragedy plus time. Um, hmm. so yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. I, I would, uh, broaden it a little bit of saying like, uh, comedy is tension and resolution. Um, so, um, and I'll comedy is 
really all art is, you know, if I can make a broad, like sweeping statement. Right. But like music, you build tension with discord and then you resolve it. Right. Mm. Uh, and there are pieces that have more discord and greater builds. Right. But the general thinking is, you know, make, create the discomfort and then give people the comfort. And then that's the emotional release. All right. Yeah. So like Bill Burr does that by, and I'm not a student of Bill Burr. So like, <laughs> But if he's like most stand-up comics, right? Like he will introduce a topic and and point at himself that makes people feel uncomfortable. Yes. And then by giving folks permission to laugh, uh, that resolves it and integrates it, right? So uh, comedy is is danger and it's our secrets uh, and it's the things that we can't name, named and reenacted in a safe place. No, no, that's so that and that's so you articulated that way better. But that's kind of what I it's like oftentimes and I know that not all comics do this, but oftentimes I see specifically stand up comics. I'm way less familiar with improv, but they're saying things that are true that you're not supposed to say. Often. Yes. Often. Right. But but that's they're not saying things that aren't true. Well, I mean, I can't speak for every comic. Like, there are people that say things that are not true. Right. Right. And I mean, I, w- I don't mean that are like the, so, you know, oftentimes, so like we can keep picking on Bill Burr. It's not like every story he tells is factually accurate. That's not what I'm talking about. I just mean like part of the reason why things resonate with his audience is because what he's describing is a thing that everybody recognizes. So, like, he's hilarious talking about, you know, marriage and relationships. And, right. Like, what he's describing, even if it's a made up story, like everybody's lived yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So th- there's a formula for stand up comedy, and uh, and it's the best comedians. You don't see the formula, right? Mm. Um, and and there's people that tell stories and make connections, right? But like the the formula is um, attitude first, okay, um, and then a setup. Uh, so. Uh, I'm an improviser. Here I am trying to write a joke on the fly, right? <laughs> hey, give, give me a topic to work with. Uh, water. Water. Okay. So if I'm going to write a joke about water, the first thing that I'm going to do is make an emotional connection with the audience about water, right? Okay. So um, for me, uh, and again, working on the fly here, uh, the thing about water, everybody knows it's good for you. It's a big old part of who we are, right? Like we're 70% water and wouldn't you know it, I still have to be freaking reminded to drink it, (laughs) right? Right, Right? so like now, like we're forming this emotional connection of the one thing that we absolutely know is good for us. We resent it and resist it because Coke tastes better. Yeah. Right, we took the source of life and thought that we could improve on it, right? So. So now what we're going is we're going from an attitude about something to a setup, right? Like describing a reality. uh, And then you create the punchline resolving the setup. I'm I'm probably not going to do that on the fly today. Right. But, but that's, that's the the kind of general. So every standup, every blanket statements, right? Generally standups will have their own attitude perspective that carries through. Yeah. And so Bill Burr, he's, he's Mr. Shame, right? 
<laughs> right? And Jerry Seinfeld is, you know, do you ever know that, like, isn't this absurd, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and then Lewis Black is just, like, pure anger, right? Yeah. And um, Tignataro, like, awkward, right? Okay. Like, I am a fish out of water, all that Maria Bamford, same way, right? Huh. Like, is, isn't the whole world strange and scary? And here I am in it and I don't know what to do. Right. Okay. And like Maria Bamford, I don't know if you listen to her or not. Mm-mm. She is like extra. Like she, she's just like from another planet in a, in a wonderful way. Right. Um, so like she heightens and expands that character. She is very clearly a fish out of water. And mm. those of us that feel that way, but don't always get to express it, get to, live it out vicariously through her. Yeah, no, for sure. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah, I feel like there's plenty more we could talk about with comedy and truth. I mean, do you, so do you feel like there's ways that comedy is just not about truth? Um, it's not a, it's not about truth. It's rude. It's rooted in truth. All right. Right. Like, um, I, I mean, so like as, as a Christian, Uh, and as a hopeful Christian, right? Like theater gets divided up into comedy or tragedy, right? Yeah. And like the very like basic, like English class definition is a tragedy ends in a funeral and a comedy ends in a wedding. Yeah. Um, And so like as a Christian, I believe that the resolution of our human experience is a wedding. Yeah. Um, So life is a comedy. Yeah. Uh, not everything's funny all the time. Right. Yeah. But the big picture, give it time, give it time. Yeah. yeah. Like, so you're to harken back to your earlier definition. Yeah. Tragedy plus time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's the, the truth of comedy, um, is sometimes like you're not alone. Uh, you're not the only one that feels this way. Sure. Yeah. Um, the truth of comedy is sometimes like it's going to be okay. Um, Mm. like it works out in the end. Um, the, the truth in comedy, um, especially in improv comedy is that like you find your way through it with the other people. Like, um, it's a team sport. You're building an airplane while you're flying it. Um, and so you have this incredible feeling of, empowerment when um you know that you can go out onto a blank stage and only have one thing and that's enough um, because you are with people that will have your back and make it work um like that's an incredible truth that i've discovered in improv but you see once once you see it in in one thing you, you begin to discover it everywhere yeah. No, that's cool. That's super cool. So the, we, we had also talked to, so like we, I had texted you and you texted me back saying, Oh yeah, by the way, if you want to ask me about the latest Dave Chappelle special, I haven't watched it yet. And I still haven't watched it, which is, that's but I've, I've read articles about it and I've list, I listened to a radio interview about okay. it today. So I, well, I didn't want to ask you specifically about that one, but uh, it, it does get at though, so like c- comedy and kind of like politics or political truth or the way comedy and even like more broadly, the way comedy often 
functions as social commentary mm-hmm. has like, I think that now that I'm reflecting on it, like thinking about the relationship between comedy and truth, I feel like that's where comedy oftentimes has this like prophetic quality to it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like calling out the truth and highlighting it and not so much like comedy as political argument or something like that. Right. Like, but, but yeah, kind of like comedy is propaganda, but in a, in a good sense, not in a bad sense and not in a, not in a, um, cause I've seen comics do it on purpose and that doesn't work. Yeah. But and I've also seen comics do it. And like Dave Chappelle is somebody who, who does that where you're like, man, like that's, that's a compelling argument precisely because it wasn't an argument. And I don't know. So talk about that. So I think that, um, that that Dave in his most recent joke, right? Like, uh, and I'll talk about it just because we need an object lesson, right? Yeah. So, like, uh, he is he is known as an advocate and a voice for Black people to live in safety and to live well, and he stands up against racism. And uh, he observed. He said, like, you know what? A lot of Black people, when they look at what's going on with queer people, think. I wouldn't mind that. I'll trade for that. Right. Like, uh, and so what's happening is that he is making, again, analyzing comedy is the easiest way to kill it. Right. Yeah. No, this, this isn't going to be funny. Right. But he's making an emotional connection of like, I, I wish that me and my people could have had, uh, advances in society and be valued in society in the way that I see, another community getting it uh, better, differently, faster, right? right? Like, and so like he's making an emotional connection with this longing for freedom, for security, for safety. Sure. Um, He's doing it in a way that like missed a couple truths. Okay. Um, So like one of his biggest critics is, a queer person of color, a queer black person, right? Who's like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm both, right? Like, well, it, do you, is it fair to use one person in the audience as you missed a truth? No, it, it it's absolutely not. But um, it wasn't funny for for them uh, because it it no longer was true for them, mm. right? And um, and it's not funny when you're not safe anymore. Right. So like he, he goes on and like he, he celebrates some people or defends some people that like attacked queer people. Um, so he did. Well, he talked about how the baby got a bad deal. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like the baby did some like nasty stuff. Right. Like he's not the guy that you want to like lift up as an example or as a hero. Right. And so I don't think he did that. Fair enough. Yeah. I, um, mean, I mean, he did say he was a murderer. <laughs> okay. So I, I haven't seen the whole, whole special, right? Yeah. But he, I mean, definitely he was not defending the baby, which also I should just say, like, I have seen the special. I'd never heard of the baby until I watched the special. So I don't know. I don't really have any of the context for any of it. Yeah. I'm not qualified to give commentary on, on the baby or his music <laughs> or his life choices, but, um, what I can say is that like when it doesn't feel safe, um, it, it doesn't feel funny anymore. Right. Like it's tragedy without the distance. Yeah. that's Um, And 
you know, you and I as uh, Christians, as white men, as cis men, as straight men, uh, I'm making a lot of assumptions about you, but I feel like I know you pretty well. Yeah. Uh, like we have a lot more like built in safety. Like we walk with much more safety and, and much more security uh, in this world. Uh, and so like, it's easier for us to laugh and, and feel safe in and of ourselves without seeing that other people don't feel safe. And when they don't feel safe, it's not funny. So, yeah, I mean, man, I want to, there's like two different threads. Let's just stick with this one, but I want to come back to the kind of like comedy and truth and social commentary. Um, comedy is propaganda. That's the wrong word, but what, no, yeah. no, we'll come back to it. We'll come well, back well, to Well, so let me say this, like the, the rule when, when you're, when you're doing comedy, you don't always have to have a target. Um, but sometimes, maybe often, you are laughing at something or someone. Sure, yeah. If you're laughing at someone, um, you will, the crowd will only be with you, and you will, unless you're in a crowd of fascists, and that happens too. But the general rule is you punch down. Yeah, I don't buy that. Well, uh, don't do stand up, <laughs> Right. But like, because, so this is, this is where like, I'm sorry. Did I say you punch down? You punch up. You don't punch down. Right. You know what I meant? Like I you, you've heard yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I totally know what you meant. I totally, I had to rewind. Like, right. So part of the reason why I don't buy that is that, um, like you, you're bringing, your own ideas of what it, who's up and who's down to the, to the equation that, you know, so for example, Dave Chappelle maybe has different ideas of who's up and who's down than you are. Maybe he thinks he's punching up and you think he's punching down, or maybe he thinks that he's punching yeah. across and you don't. And so like, the, and, and if we're going to create a class of people who can't be punched at because they're down, then now they're on top. And, that is where we connect back to Jesus. Okay. Right? Like the, the kingdom is upside down. Well, so then now we got to punch the people on top. So if if that's what happened with Israel, right? Like, Well, but that's also what happened with Dave Chappelle. Sure. Is he punched the people who were above him? Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, you, you punch up, right? Like you find liberation, you find freedom. And like most communities if they find true freedom and live in that freedom long enough, like I'll go back to Israel. Like this is the church podcast, right? Mm. Liberated from slavery through the promised land, uh, in or through the wilderness into the promised land, establish a kingdom. The kingdom of freed slaves is now making war against its neighbors, oppressing aliens within its, sure. its borders, yeah. right? Like the oppressed people became the oppressors, right? And like the same God that liberated them from Egypt and freed the slaves now destroys their kingdom, smashes the walls, they lose the temple, and they go into um, mm. exile again, right? Like sometimes the the bottom becomes the top and the top has to be returned to the bottom, absolutely. So I agree with all of that as political analysis or social analysis. I don't know how comfortable I am like dropping all of that into comedy 
Fair enough. Like, uh, like at some point jokes, even if they are jokes that are telling the truth and there's a prophetic element to them, there's also like the fact that these are just jokes. Yep. But uh, there's a real difference between, uh, the bully telling jokes and the bullied fighting back with jokes. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. So like if you are, if you are punching down, you will be perceived as a bully. If, if sure, you, like, and so th- that's the thing, right? Like, right. even I don't think it's that hard to figure out the morality of it all, of it all. But what? Well, but it if is. You, well, I was about to say, right. If you set the morality aside and just look at the power dynamic, yeah, right. Like, it's it's much easier to see who has power and who doesn't. And if you are seen as having greater power and using that to hurt people that have lesser power. Yeah. That's not funny. And that's not safe for people with less power. No. Well, and so that gets at, that's actually helpful. So, because I think what you see actually helpful, don't act surprised that I said something. No, no, no. If I said it that way, that's not how I meant it. (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. I, what I meant is, yeah, I think that you said something that is helping me think through this conversation. Um, because I think with the, with the Dave Chappelle bit that, and all right, let me talk for a second and then I'll, then I'll ask my question. I think with Dave Chappelle's special and his previous specials, cause he's done a few where he's been talking about, um, like he's been talking about the trans community, the LGBTQ community on stage over the last couple of specials, um, and has gotten attacked for it. Mm-hmm. And people, so some people are attacking him because they see him as punching down on stage. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a lot of people who see the backlash to him as people punching down at him. Right. And so, so, which I think you would agree with that, regardless of which side of that you, you yourself yeah, might fall and you see, see that. that that's how people are. Right. And so like that's, which is interesting. So now you've got like more than one perspective on what he's doing and that is affecting whether or not they see it as funny. Right. Right. Okay. So that's where like, it does seem to me like we are in a unique time Mm -hmm. in probably not in world history, but in my lifetime in this country, um, I don't ever recall the kind of virulent attempts to censor comedians um, in my lifetime as what I've seen in the last five ish years, like that does seem unique. Now, again, I'm not, not a student. Yeah. Would you say that it is unique? Like that kind of, I mean, like people are like, Hey, we need to, we need to pull Dave's contract and not just date. Like we're talking yeah. about him, but you know, we need, we need to take his money. We need to take his livelihood. We need to get, get this man off the stage kind of stuff. Right. That seems unique to be coming at comics like that. I th- I think that um, it, it's another it's another power dynamic, right? Um, and well, would you agree that it's unique in your your understanding? So folks have always had a voice to, and it's been part of the tradition to push back at a comic. Oh yeah, right. Like, no, no, no. I'm not saying like that was dumb or uh, I'm not going to buy tickets to your show or that right. wasn't funny. I'm saying like, I'm coming for blood that. So I think that, um, that's not a helpful metaphor. Uh, I'm coming for blood because, uh, if, if Dave 
if his special got pulled, he still got, I think. Sure. Right. Like yeah. Dave, Dave Chappelle retired once comfortably. <laughs> right. right. Like, but how about this? Instead nobody's taking his blood, blood. How about I'm trying to destroy your ability to do the thing that you care about? Uh, That's fair. I, I think that that is the ultimate uh, consequence. Oh, maybe not the ultimate consequence, right? But that is a, a a place in the escalation of consequences. Right. Um, but that seems unique. Like, I don't recall that being a thing people were trying to do to each other. Not, not tr- certainly not trying to do to comics 20 years ago. Well, so that's why I wanted to talk about like the power dynamic that's changed, right? Like yeah. the internet has democratized power. Like it, what before the internet, or at least convinced us that it's done that. Well, we'll save we'll save the uh, the tinfoil hat for the next sure the right next podcast. But like now, people that don't like Dave or don't like what he says can find each other, can right. can coordinate their power in a way. Before where like if you're just at a stand up show and someone says something stupid, yeah. right? Like you can yell at them, and people do that. <laughs> but they've got the microphone and right. they've got security, right? right? So it like, doesn't go so well. It doesn't work so well. Right. And then you get kicked out. And what are you going to write a letter to the editor, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you can do things, but like the, the, the balance of power between the audience and the performer has shifted. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there are comedians, especially, and this is part of the difference between improv and stand up, right? Like, Improv has always been about sharing power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, like, I can see that. Right? And and stand-up is often about using power and 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 controlling an audience uh, in the best sense of a word usually, right? But to, to bring them to a destination. And uh, it has been hard uh, for Dave Chappelle or for, for other comedians to realize that um, there is a check on their power that wasn't there before. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't hear Dave Chappelle. I mean, quite the opposite. He's not complaining about it. He's like doubling down um, and, and making fun of it and making money by making fun of it. Right. So, so I don't like, you know, and he also announced that this special is his last one. So like he, he's... it was his last, my understanding is that he was saying, this is my last, this is my last Netflix special. Oh, okay. And so not, not that he was like ending his, not that he was retiring. No. Okay. But also he said explicitly, like I'm done talking about this as in the LGBTQ plus whatever controversy like that, that also he made pretty explicit. It's like, I'm done talking about this. That's probably a good move. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and and I mean, you definitely should watch it and then we can have another conversation. Maybe not, not a recorded one. Um, but, or I mean, we could record it too, but, but I'd be curious to know what you think about it after you've watched it. Um, shoot, I lost my question. I'm sorry. No, no, you're You were talking about the power dynamic. You were talking about, you didn't use the phrase, but like comics getting canceled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I like, you know, he's not cancelable. Right. It, but the attempt to cancel and some people are cancelable and, and I'm also, I mean, I wouldn't say that, um, there aren't reasons to cancel people. Right. But, but specifically canceling comedians seems particularly unwise. So I would affirm your instinct to say that, um, there are voices in society, um, 
comedians, artists in general. Right. Right. Um, uh, artists, philosophers, thinkers, like I do think that that particular crowd uh, should get a wider berth. Um, but I also would say that uh, no person is immune from consequences. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, I mean, again, I'm not defending Dave Chappelle. We're going to get to <laughs> this question in a minute. But mm-hmm. So I'm not defending him. It's not like, oh, he's this great speaker of truth that we all need to revere or anything like yeah. that. It's more like, man, it's weird to see this trend in our society of like that person's telling the truth. I'm going to kill him. Like that kind of like ethos is really weird to see. And, you know, I recognize again, we are two Christians, right? Uh, No, no, that's what I was just going to say. So like to say he's telling the truth, we're going to kill him is a new thing. No, 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 I didn't say it was a new thing. Okay. I was just going to make that that, connection. That's at at the heart of our, of our faith, right? No, no, no. I, I a hundred percent, like it's not, it's, it's something that clearly goes like it's, it's a human response. Yeah. But to see that within, again, manifested that way, it, uh, it, it's just weird. Yeah. So, uh, I would say that it is a a tale as old as time that um, people that tell the truth uh, can sometimes face consequences. Um, I would also say that um, a fundamental truth for me is that the first will be last and the last will be made first. So in as far as a comedian is punching down, Mm. I don't think they're telling the truth. And so I, I don't think that, that you, because I believe that the, the world is a comedy, that it ends in a wedding, and because the oppressed are, are going to be the rulers. They're going to find freedom. Like, so a- anything that is attacking God's beloved, that mm-hmm. is, is punching down, that is hurting people, isn't truth. Sure. No, I, I, think, I think if you're going to say attacking or hurting, yeah, I agree. And I know that there's like nasty, like I, I don't really like cruelty. Right. You know? It's not something that I enjoy or appreciate being around or like watching. Um, and, and I've seen that right. in, in comics too, not just in, you know, yeah. whatever kids at the playground. And I don't really like that. Um, I think, I think that it, it does seem, so I would affirm that. I would agree. I think that we, and, and to the degree that that is what punching down is. Yeah. Like, I think when people see that, most people respond with, yeah, not funny, not interested, don't really want to be around that, not going to listen to your next special, which is cool. Yeah. But I think it's the, um, it does seem like we often call things that when they're not that. Like that seems like a thing that's also happening. So it's, I I don't think that there is any, rational metric. I, I think that this is an emotional. Of course there is. It's whatever I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, right? right. Like it, yes. it is, it is, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's like, uh, obscenity. You know it when you see it, like yeah. you feel it in your heart. Yeah. Um, and so it's, and we and, don't all draw the line in the same place. 
Well, and, and that goes back to our, our, our earlier conversation, like you and I, because of where we are positioned in this society, we feel uh, our heart is tuned differently. Sure. Yeah. And, and as followers of Jesus, our hearts are being retuned uh, because Jesus's heart is uh, in tune with the oppressed. Yeah, no, for sure. Yep. I'm with you all the way. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Okay. So Bill, I, I just, I outed myself saying that Bill Burr is one of my favorite comics. Yeah. I also really like Dave Chappelle. Okay. I feel a little, what's the word? Uh, trepidation. Okay. Yeah. Conflicted. And so that makes me feel trepidation about owning that fact publicly as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Cause those guys are foul. Yeah. So talk about that. Like as somebody now I've, I know com, your comedy sports is family friendly, so that's a different kind of environment, but I do but, uh blue comedy as well. Right. So, yeah. so what, so I'm sure you've thought about that and yeah. I don't know it, you and I, I don't think I've ever really talked about that, but like I hang out with you. You're not like dropping F bombs all the time or, you know what I mean? Like that's not I've your... held back on the podcast. <laughs> I could, if you want me to. Well, I'm just mean like when we're not on a podcast, <laughs> when you're not in the pulpit, like you're not a foul mouth person, you know what I mean? And, and neither am I. Um, and I think that that's important. Like, I think that matters. I mm-hmm. actually think it matters to God. I don't think it's like the most important thing to God, but I think we should be people who have control over our mouths, but both just in the, like the crass vulgarity that oftentimes Mm -hmm. accompanies comedy. And then also oftentimes the subject matter, which I'm comfortable with the subject matter, getting a pass a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but not always. So just, yeah. Talk about how that's been for you to like navigate that as a believer. So I think that um, this is one of the ways that, the church can learn from the world of comedy. Okay. Um, because what we're doing when we're laughing at things that are, are vulgar um, are we're dealing with the things that make us uncomfortable in mm. a safe place. And um, so you're advocating for more cussing from the pulpit. I'm just messing with you. Uh, well, but maybe. so, so <laughs> uh, I, my rule was always that you get to swear at your congregation once a year. Uh, <laughs> It, At if, them or in front of them? Either one. Okay. Uh, right. If you do it once a year, you won't get fired and it'll still be effective. Uh, if, if you do it more often than that, you'll probably get fired and it will lose <laughs> its effectiveness. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so there's different, t- there's bad words, right? Uh, and there's uncomfortable topics. And a lot of those things are connected, right? Right. Um, but in general, um, people that most people use bad words to express strong feelings mm-hmm. and um, it's not the only way or even the best way to express strong feelings. But if a person, uh, you know, quote unquote drops an F bomb, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on your, on your podcast, right? Probably not. Yeah. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't really thought about it. We, uh, Elijah, uh, this recording hasn't been released yet, but he definitely went from PG to PG 13 on the podcast. Okay. So uh, you guys can like, understand the paraphrase right but like when i'm providing pastoral care right like people will tell me some things that are messed up right right and like the most empathetic thing i can say is yes that is messed up and if they say i'm messing mad right then like it is i'm not yes ending them i'm not meeting them in the moment where they are if i mirror back it sounds like you're 
a little bit angry. Yeah. Right. Like there's times when the appropriate truth is to say that's effed up. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and I think that, um, we fail as a church to disciple people well when we don't acknowledge the very strong felt emotions that often come out in profanity. Mm. I think that we fail as a church when we pretend that um, people don't have sexual desires sure, or yeah, don't yeah, use yeah. the bathroom, right? Like right. all, like those are the things that comics talk about, yes. right? And people laugh at them because they relate to them People listen to them because they need to hear about those things, right? Like yeah. comedy is filling a societal need. I agree. Right? And uh, the church is, and, and I'm not I'm not one to say that necessarily the church should provide every need for every person, right? right? But yes. um, there can be a role for stand-up comedy that the church, at least from the pulpit, is not filling. Yeah, but, well, man, I, I feel like, at the very least, we ought to um, affirm the gifts. Like, I don't want you to feel. I, I don't want you to feel conflicted, right? I I want you uh, to receive the truth that that is coming from from that particular revelation. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you just said. Um, it does still seem, though, like there's a difference between a well-placed choice F bomb mm -hmm. because somebody's really emotional and what goes on on most comedy stage. Sure. And like the other difference between, uh, there's a lot of difference between stand up and, and preaching. Right. Right. Um, stand up. You yourself are the content and you are the instrument. And, um, and so it, that requires a vulnerability um, that I think Christians uh, can and should practice with discretion. Um, as a pastor, you don't want to be superhuman mm -hmm. or present yourself as superhuman perfect. Like it's good for people to know that you struggle, that you hurt, that you have insecurities, yeah. uh, that you have needs. Um, it's bad for you to turn the pulpit into your therapy. Right. right? Yes. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> you, so. you, you turn the corner exactly as I was started going. Hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's both. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, in seminary, I was mostly trained to, um, to practice professional detachment, um, and in, in your preaching, or in in, in as my a preaching and yeah. in my pastoral care right. and as a pastor, right? Like friendships within your congregation are are dangerous. Like, I, and yeah. you don't want to get your emotional needs met in your congregation. I hear all that. I understand why they taught that, why they teach that. Um, I also understand that. Um, the way of Jesus is um, receiving grace. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to model that if people can't see my brokenness. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. 
No, I so I remember having conversations with you specifically, but with other folks too about that. Uh, what did you call it? Professional detachment mm-hmm. um, as something that you learned in some of your seminary training and thinking. And it's not to say that that way of approaching ministry might not be right for some people in some circumstances. But to there's just, some people that I wish would practice it a lot more, <laughs> right? Like, hey, uh, so I've got this uh, this skill you should learn. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I do know some people that I wish would be professionally detached from me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but it, it clearly is not the only way and it has problems. And yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Well, so yeah, so talk more about as somebody who, let's, let's start with just the preaching, mm-hmm. right? So preaching and comedy and like, you know, because both are public speaking both have some kind of like self-disclosure, both have some sort of like, I mean, maybe with improv less so, but some sort of content delivery, right? Mm-hmm. So even just from that level, and then, but then I also want to talk more about even just like leadership and pastoral um, leadership more broadly than just preaching. But like, how has comedy informed that for you? Um, the preaching first. So uh, one of Del Close is uh, an improv guru who uh, just to circle back on the on the Dave Chappelle conversation, mm-hmm. he's since been discovered to be like a real jerk. Uh, so I, I'm not Del or Dave Del Close. Oh, all right, uh, yeah. Um, so, but he's he's a guy that had a lot of insight in how to do improv. He uh, mm. he invented some methods of of improv and formats for shows that will never go away, uh, nor should they. Um, but a, a popular um, piece of coaching that he gave to performers, uh, a lot of times we learn through side coaching, right? So like we'll be performing, at, not in front of a crowd, but in, in practice, and our director will see us doing things and just like a basketball coach, right? Pick your head up, right? Like they'll side coach, they'll tell you, uh, like, okay. are you paying attention to this? Are you looking at this, right? Like where are your feet, right? I'll, I'll, in sports, you'd get that more, but... <laughs> Sure. Maybe, Where are your maybe, feet? Maybe in comedy a little bit. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I've coached great improvisers and horrible ones, right? Like sometimes yeah. I'm saying, hey, the audience is over here. Talk this way, right? <laughs> like that's the thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of his more famous side coaching is follow the fear. Mm. Oh, all right. And, and that has bore a lot of fruit sure. for me in my preaching. If there's something that I'm afraid to say or something that I'm afraid to do, I need to lean into that. Yeah. I need to interrogate that fear. I need to get it because, uh, and, and zooming out on preaching, like fear for me was a powerful one. That's probably where I discovered that. Right. But, um, a lot of my improv starts with the emotion, right? Like yeah. which feeling am I feeling right now? Yeah. And, and follow what it. is, and follow it. Right. Yeah. And, and anger, fear, yep. shame, excitement. Yep. Yeah. And so a lot of times as I'm preparing a sermon, I'll read mm. a text and it'll start with my emotional reaction. Yeah. No, right? that's super helpful. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Um, man made me think of something a lot. Oh yeah. Uh, paraphrase, but CS Lewis said you will, you should expect to find the most game where the, where the bushes are the thickest. Okay. Yeah. Right? Which is exactly what he, yeah. Like follow he, the fear, right? Exactly. It, it, yep. He unpacks that more, but that's exactly what he's talking I about. I mean, the opposite is the guy who's looking for his keys under the lamppost. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, have you found them? No. Well, why do you keep looking here? 
is where the light is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yep, they're not there. Yeah, no, that's cool. Okay. Well, so how about more broadly in terms of, you know, what you've learned as, um, somebody who's engaging in, in comedy, just how that's informed you as a pastor or in ministry or as a leader? Uh, hopefully, uh, it has taught me to listen, uh, mm. and to be, um, emotionally present to, to receive from other folks and then aware of my own self and what I'm putting back. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's what you were looking for. That's kind of like, no, that's good. Yeah. And again, that seems like something that's pretty unique to improv as opposed to comedy more broadly. It's, it's different. Mm. Um, I mean, so like that's, when stand-ups bomb, right? Okay, fair. Yeah, it's because there is a, a feeling in the in the in the crowd that they are not connecting with. Yeah, right. So um, it's different for sure. Right. But it, I would say that you cannot do emotionally. You can do emotionally tone deaf comedy for other emotionally tone deaf people, <laughs> <laughs> but like. If you're, if you're going for like the true, like the deeper magic from before time, like mm. whatever Aslan would say, right? Like yeah. that's, that's a, a different level of, of tuned in to a time and a space. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, a, a good example, right? Like, um, Louis CK is another guy that, um, got quote unquote canceled and still has a great career. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, 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 I haven't heard him very much, but from what I understand, he kind of deserved what he got. It, he was very creepy and horrible, oh, man. And, which hurts because he's a guy that told some like really like powerful, good, affirming truths. And mm. um, and it's just that his life didn't line up like he wasn't authentic. Mm. Uh, anyway, um, I only mentioned him because he called what he called the best set that he has ever seen in stand-up was Tignataro mm. um had a gig a, an hour the evening after she was diagnosed with cancer. Uh you told me about this. It, yeah. If you listen to it, it is freaking powerful. Yeah. Um she is vulnerable. She is present. Yeah. Present to herself in such a way that allow the audience i mean even you and i like watching it on youtube or whatever right right? like there's still with all of that distance there is um, an emotional connection yeah and and i think that's that i'm probably repeating myself you're gonna have to edit some stuff out um but like that's what happens in good preaching uh that's what happens in healthy communities yeah Uh, that's what happens in good pastoral care no that's i think that's super helpful yeah. Yeah. That was worth saying twice. Okay. <laughs> huh. Ask me another question. I'll say it again. <laughs> Have I told you about Tignataro? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so uh, were there any other questions from the text chain that we had that we... I haven't even looked at it. I know, yeah. I, not since you sent it. I did look at it, but... <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. So, uh, the stuff we talked about, anything that you're like, Oh, we should circle back or made you think something or. Uh, I, th- I think that, um, 
that it is good to laugh. Um, and you know, just circling back on some of the other things, right? Like, um, there's, there's a big difference between, uh, laughing at people and, and discovering the joy that is with us in every moment and realizing, I, I think that's the thing that I love about comedy is, um, the thing that, uh, everyone is afraid of, like the worst thing that can happen, um, is still going to be okay. I, I remember early in an improv class or early in performance, actually, I was on stage in front of a crowd and I was, I was in my head and I was pausing and hesitating and like my director could see the trepidation and the hesitation. And he's like, why are you doing that? And I was like, cause I don't want to screw up. And he goes, well, what happens if you screw up? People are going to laugh at me. Okay. Well, isn't that what you came here to do? Yeah. <laughs> right. So like, okay. Like, like the, the worst thing is, is actually the goal, right? Yeah. It, it's fine. Yeah. You, and, and you know, connect it to, to Christianity. Like what's the f- worst thing that people can do? Well, they can kill you. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Then you get to be Christ-like and party with Jesus. Uh, and yeah. yeah, the, the worst thing is still a win. Like, uh, what I love about improv, uh, and what I love about a healthy faith and a healthy faith community is you can't lose. Someone's going to have your back. Mm. Nothing that goes wrong ends you, you know, like it's, um, you know, it's the joy of flying off the trapeze swing and knowing that you're going to get caught. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. So if you were going to talk to the church, yeah. What, but like just connected somehow, like how should the church be thinking about or engaged with or learning from just the whole comedy space? Um. Oh boy. I, I know that's super broad, but like, well, yeah, I'm just saying we're going to get heavy at the end of the podcast. Okay. But, um, Heavy's good. So as, as a Christian pastor, uh, and I, I think other people will be able to relate to this, but like there is no community in which I feel the least secure or, f- or less secure or less free than in the Christian community. Yeah, you're going to have to unpack that a little bit. So when a lot of times with a lot of Christians, you meet a Christian and the first thing that they need to figure out is if you're the right kind of Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally just had this happen a week and a half ago. Right. Like, I mean, uh, queer people talk about it a lot, but generally like if a pastor asks you, Hey, can we get coffee sometime? Like that's bad news. Like you're facing an interrogation. Um, and, um, there are, again, like, I don't want to, uh, to turn my church into my therapy, but there are absolutely things about myself that, I knew I could not share with my Christian community. Yeah. Um, and I know that my comedy community loves me no matter what. Mm. And when I screw up, tells me, right? But mm. like, it's not over, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm way more afraid of getting canceled in church than I am when I'm doing comedy. No, that's fair. Yeah. Yep. So, so what I want, I want 
church to learn from the world of comedy is that like the beautiful things happen when people are loved unconditionally, where they have grace and where they have freedom. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, right? Like when we talk about the creative process, we're editing. What are they going to think about that? What are they going to think about that? What are they going to? And like, if you're going to make something new and beautiful, you have to have the freedom to fail. And and uh, improv, particular, teaches you to amplify and celebrate your failures. Um, and we've seen so often in the church that we've hidden our failures we've defended our failures we've minimized our failures yeah right and nope and it, and it's it's unchristian right um to to pretend that we're not failures right yeah um if you say without your if you say you're without sin you're a liar and the truth is not in you right yeah. but he who confesses their sins yeah. uh, will be forgiven and oh boy it's been a while since i did that all right like led into passive no not passive righteousness the righteousness comes yeah yeah so but so often uh we're we're not we're not a safe place for for brokenness to be shared and that's what's so healing about like everybody who does comedy does it because they're messed up <laughs> um and and we find healing in being loved while we're messed up and sharing our brokenness with one another. Yeah. And like, I, th I think that's what the church is supposed to be. Yes. But that more people are, are doing improv than joining churches now because yeah. they're getting what the church is supposed to, to be providing. So I um, can see exactly what you're talking. I mean, I don't have the same kind of connection to the comedy community that you do, but I can see that. Um, and I can, I am connected to the church in similar ways that you are. And I can see that too. Um, although I think, you know, I feel like I've had the good fortune to be connected to some really healthy Christian communities over my life. So, um, but that doesn't mean that I haven't had those kinds of experiences that you're talking about, um, both with people from other Christian communities or with the Christian church more broadly, or even in the Christian communities that I've been a part of, yeah. even though I would describe them as fairly healthy I see what you're talking about. It's that um, the failure to actually believe in and practice grace with each right. other, right? That's really what it boils down to um, if you're going to just put your finger on it. And and coupled with that is the confusion about how we're supposed to practice judgment and discernment and discipleship and wisdom, right? Because there is a place for those things. Yeah. But we, we, we get the, we, we get the math wrong. We get the equation wrong. No, my, my kid hurts another kid. Right. And I say, stop hurting that kid. Right. Exactly. Right? That's and, judgment. That's wisdom. And, and, that's and she says, you hate me. Right. And I say, I love you. Exactly. And I'm never going to stop loving you no matter how much you hit that kid. Right. But, but please stop hitting that kid. Because I love you, I'm inviting you to a better way. Right, right exactly. Yeah. So that, but, so I, I wanted to say that, but then come back to, um, so my understanding, and this only comes from hearing um, comics talk about it, not from personal experience, but you've also pointed at some of these places, even in this conversation, where comedy can be an inscrutable judge to the comic. So, so I'd like to hear yeah. you talk about that too. No. So I think it's, 
I, I think it's both. I, I think that um, within the community, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the green room, uh, comics love each other and feel free. And like whatever you hear, like crossing the line on the stage, like they are going 20 times, 100 times further yeah. uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, because they are still loved, right? Because it is a, it's a brainstorming space. It it's a safe space, right? Yeah. So you don't want to put in the pe- way that word that phrase what it used to mean, right? Yeah. Right. Like there's no bad ideas in brainstorming, right? right? Like you put that stuff out, but like that's different than when you have a finished product or a public product. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us feel so secure uh, in in those private spaces and in that community that we feel free um, sharing parts of ourselves that even if they are honest and coming from a real place, hurt people. Yeah. Right. Like I, I need a safe space to deal with uh, my prejudice or my anger any hate that I might have. Right. Like that, that's why I I need a therapist or a spiritual director or a trusted friend or a writer's room or whatever so that I can, or, or, or hopefully a Christian community that actually gets it. Right. Yes. And and maybe that's it. Maybe the Christian community, because the way we're organized, right? Like, we're not good at delineating what's the private space and the brainstorming space and what's the finished product product. And we're not real enough with one another in the private space. Yeah. So that like, we don't necessarily know who we might be hurting. Right. Like to go back to like the Chappelle's like homophobia and transphobia. Right. Like I've seen a lot of pastors say things um, in what they think is a space without queer people mm. because the queer people in the space haven't felt safe to share sure, yeah. who they are with the pastor. And I don't think, uh, like I, I, if I'm talking to every pastor, I'm like always, always, always assume when you're preaching right. that there is a gay person listening to you, that there is a trans person listening to you. You just don't see them and they haven't told you. But if, but you are, when you're preaching, you are making public space. Oh yeah. You are, you are not talking even in a small church to an intimate community of friends. Yep. No, I, I would say not so much specifically around the issue of, um, you know, the LGBTQ community, but uh, although I've learned that too, but one of the things that I've, I got kind of taught from my pastor, um, maybe more just from listening to him than anything else, but there's a big difference between pastoring from the pulpit and pastoring in, you know, like in a one-on-one setting or yeah, like there, even though it might be a small community and, and, and really that difference is public versus private speech and that, and, and, there's some uniquely powerful things that you can only do with public speech. And there's some uniquely powerful things that you can only do with private speech. And you do have to be aware of the difference so that you don't make some horrible mistakes. Yeah. And some of them specific to, I think the way 
the way pastors and the church has spoken about the issues surrounding homosexuality or transsexuality um, and what scripture teaches and what God thinks, the, the way that we, the church, has engaged around those topics um, in our public speech yeah. has not always been very helpful. Fair enough. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know you and I have differences of opinions about some of this, but I think that's a place where we agree wholeheartedly. Either, yeah. Regardless of what you, what you think big picture, you have to lead with love. Yeah. Right. Um, that's the, that's, that's the big rule. Yep. On that. We agree. <laughs> we're just, we're just copying Jesus on that one. Exactly. exactly. Right. On yeah. that. We agree as well. <laughs> there you go. Nothing new under the sun. Right. Well, so uh, is there anything else we should talk about? We're at one fifteen. Oh, I, I think you should end it before we get ourselves in big trouble. Right. We should, uh, what do we want to talk about that would get us in big trouble? Ah, I know. Stay tuned next week. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Thank you. All right. Two Forty Two is a podcast of Buffalo Vineyard Church in Buffalo, New York. Learn more about who we are and get in touch with us at buffalovineyard.org. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating. Thank you for listening.